Everybody, you're listening to On One with Angela Rye, and I want to start this episode, episode three, by just giving a shout out to my good friend, Andrew Gillum, who is the current mayor of Tallahassee, and he's running for governor of Florida. You got to support him. He's dope. It's also his birthday today, so I really want you to support him today. You can do that on andrewgillum.com. Like, seriously, like, for real, for real, for real, Andrew's dope sauce, and you need to get on that. Support my boy for his birthday. Um, So, like I said, this is the third episode, and man, this ish is lit. We have a dope throwback moment in blackness. Um, with Asada, we conversate with Jesse Williams. Yes, that Jesse Williams. We have a political lowlife that, you know, ain't no surprises here, but it rhymes with dump. And we have a political highlight that's about a rare moment of bipartisanship um, and agreement in the nation's capital. New booties, welcome. I'm a political commentator who is quick triggered and doesn't let anybody pull a fast one. My name means bringer of truth, and that's exactly what I do for 57 minutes every single week on this podcast. Oh, faithfuls, you know what time it is. Let's get into it. And now, moment in blackness. This week's moment in blackness is for Asada Shakur, who just last week celebrated her 70th birthday on July 16th. She is a hero to so many of us for her brave fight for freedom, not just her own freedom, but all of ours. I have been deeply, deeply troubled by the ways in which her story is interpreted, depending on what side of the aisle you sit on and sometimes even along racial lines. She's not the first black person to be wrongfully accused. And unfortunately, she will not be the last. Let's hear Asada in her own words. At this point... I think that it is important to make one thing very clear. I have advocated and I still advocate revolutionary changes in the structure and in the principles that govern the United States. I advocate self-determination for my people and for all oppressed people inside the United States. I advocate an end to capitalist exploitation the abolition of racist policies, the eradication of sexism, and the elimination of political repression. If that is a crime, then I am totally guilty. In 1979, I was able to escape with the aid of some of my fellow comrades. I saw this as a necessary step not only because I was innocent of the charges against me, but because I knew that the racist legal system in the United States, I would receive no justice. I was also afraid that I would be murdered in prison. I later arrived in Cuba, where I am currently living in exile as a political refugee. The New Jersey State Police and other law enforcement officials say they want to see me brought to justice. But I would like to know what they mean by justice. Is torture justice? I was kept in solitary confinement for more than two years, mostly in men's prisons. Is that justice? My lawyers were threatened with imprisonment and imprisoned. Is that justice? 
I was tried by an all-white jury without even the pretext of impartiality and then sentenced to life in prison plus 33 years. Is that justice? Let me emphasize that justice for me is not the issue I am addressing here. It is justice for my people that is at stake. When my people receive justice, I am sure that I will receive it too. This week's political lowlife goes to someone who rhymes with dump. You guessed it, Donald Trump. And this doggone Boy Scout speech, this dude, man, it drives me nuts. Right when you think he can't embarrass the country anymore, he does it. He goes and does it. So Donald Trump gave a speech to the Boy Scouts yesterday at the National Scout Jamboree. In this ridiculously long, opposite of a commencement ceremony address and more like your drunk ass uncle at a wedding, he forgot the very first and most fundamental rule of public speaking. What is that, you ask? I'm so glad you asked. The rule is no, your damn audience, son. These are kids. And I don't know if he got disoriented and thought he was at a campaign rally, but it was a hot ass mess. Let's start from the beginning. Your boy said, You want to achieve your dreams? I said, Who the hell wants to speak about politics when I'm in front of the Boy Scouts? Right? For real, bro, you just gonna go ahead and cuss at the oh so moral gathering of the Boy Scouts? Then your boy got confused again and thought he was auditioning to snatch his spot back from Arnold Schwarzenegger on The Celebrity Apprentice when he threatened to fire his health and human services secretary if the uh, the new health care bill couldn't pass the Senate. And unfortunately for the health and human services secretary, it's not looking so good. By the way, you're going to get the votes? He better get them. He better get them. Oh, he better. Otherwise, I'll say, Tom, you're fired. I'll get somebody. You better get Senator Capito to vote for it. You got to get the other senators to vote for it. It's time. You know, after seven years of saying repeal and replace Obamacare, we have a chance to now do it. They better do it. Hopefully, they'll do it. And then your boy. Lightweight lied on real POTUS. Yes, real POTUS is still Barack Hussein Obama when he said Barack didn't address the Boy Scouts. Check this out. By the way, just a question. Did President Obama ever come to a jamboree? But you all know all about those alternative facts. So in 2010, for their 100th anniversary, Barack Obama did send a videotape message and you guessed it, he had far more class than Donald Trump could ever muster in his confused extra long speech. We're going to go ahead and teach y'all's president about how these messages should sound in the future, courtesy of Real POTUS. Hello, everybody. I want to send my greetings to everyone taking part in the National Scout Jamboree at Fort A.P. Hill and congratulate you on the 100th anniversary of the Boy Scouts of America. I hope you've all enjoyed this year's festivities. You know, for a century, Scouts just like you have served your communities and your nation in ways both large and small. During World War II, Scouts played a vital role in supporting the war effort at home by running messages and selling war bonds. Some of our nation's greatest heroes 
have worn the scout uniform, including 11 of the 12 men who have walked on the moon. And today, scouts across the country continue the tradition of collecting food for those in need, improving our neighborhoods, and reaching out to those less fortunate. That service is worth celebrating, but there's still more to do. Even though we face a different set of challenges today than we did 100 years ago, they're no less important. And in the years ahead, we're going to depend on you, the next generation of leaders, to move America forward. So I hope that all of you will carry the lessons you've learned in scouting with you for the rest of your lives. And I hope that when you're called upon to help write the next great chapter in the American story, you will uphold the best of the scouting tradition and respond with enthusiasm, skill, and determination. Congratulations again on your first hundred years. I'm sure the next hundred will be even better. In short, I bet you the NAACP is real glad he's kept his ridiculous ass away from their 106th convention, breaking with the tradition of presidents coming for the last three decades. Bye, Donald. This week's political highlight. This week's political highlight is about something that's near and dear to my heart. We know the criminal justice system has immense challenges, and thankfully, this is one policy area where folks on both sides of the aisle can see the importance of real immediate change. In a rare glimpse of bipartisanship, Senators Kamala Harris and Rand Paul recently introduced the Pretrial Integrity and Safety Act of 2017. Inspired by Khalif Browder, who was a 16-year-old locked up for allegedly stealing a backpack. With no money for bail, Khalif remained locked up, not at a juvenile detention center, but in New York's notorious Rikers Island for three long years without ever receiving a trial. He spent most of his time in solitary confinement. Khalif finally left Rikers in 2013 only because his suicide attempts were not successful. Unable to escape the traumatic psychological impact of being a minor in an adult prison, Khalif ultimately took his own life on June 6, 2015. He's been the textbook example used for the need for criminal justice reform in New York, but there are so many more Khalifs that have gone unnamed. And of course, that's the case here as well. Here's a clip from Kamala Harris talking about the importance of their new bill. If a person's accused of a crime, uh, we should want them behind bars as long as possible. That, what we have to understand about criminal justice policy is that crime is not a monolith. We cannot have a one-size-fits-all approach to criminal justice policy. And so on the issue of bail reform and the work that, that Rand and I are doing together, it's about recognizing that for some of the lowest level offenses, nonviolent offenses, the only difference between someone being in jail pretrial or being out is if they can afford to write a check. And that's just not fair, it's not right, and it's not reflective of a system of justice that's supposed to be blind to who you are in terms of your wealth. A wealthy person should not have freedom while a working person can't just because they can't pay for it for the same crime. According to the Pretrial Racial Justice Initiative, nationally, African-American men pay 35% higher money bail amounts than white men and Hispanic men pay 19% higher money bail amounts than white men. Nearly 50 organizations have signed on in support of the bill sponsored by Rand Paul and Kamala Harris. The NAACP LDF said justice should never be determined 
by the color of one's skin or the size of one's wallet. And we strongly encourage Congress to enact this legislation, which would be a significant step in realizing our nation's promise of liberty and justice for all. At a time when human decency is constantly challenged, I am particularly thankful that Senator Rand Paul and Senator Kamala Harris have joined forces to do the right thing by disenfranchised folks who are impacted by the inequitable bail system daily. We see you and we thank you. Now, we just need the bill to get to the Senate floor. Welcome to the third episode of On One with Angela Rye. It is my great privilege today to have um, someone on who, I, who I've seen as a brother even before we met, mm-hmm. um, in part because we're just on a mission and a journey to wokeness um, together with a lot of our listeners, and then of course there are the trolls. But um, today <laughs> I want to welcome Jesse Williams to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been going really well. Um, and really well. I didn't know this was only the third one. One. It feels like one? it's existed for longer than that. That's so. because you're used to me running my mouth. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> um, so one of the things that um, that I think is really important, we call this uh, segment of the podcast "Conversate." So it's supposed to feel very much, yeah, it's a West Coast. <coughs> um, it's supposed to feel very much like a conversation and less like an interview. I will have questions, okay. um, but you should feel totally comfortable speaking your mind. Um, that's what's most important. And that's what people want to hear. So um, I want to talk to you first about um, how you became like this woke icon, I think, for mm. black folks. Um, and one of my favorite moments for you was um, during the BET Awards when you right. won this award and you had this compelling speech. And I was like, well, damn, I saw him on Grey's Anatomy, but yeah. I didn't know it was like that. Oh, really? That was yeah. kind of your intro. Well, yeah, and I, and I knew that you were doing some great things in the community, but sure. I just hadn't to heard that. It. Yeah, yeah. It was like bars. Yeah, it was. <laughs> you sure. said it was, sure. but I just say so yeah. myself. So I want to play um, a part of that, and okay. um, actually there are three pieces from that speech, because seriously, it was my favorite that I want to play um, for the audience, and I'd love for you to respond okay. um, to some of it. There has been no war that we have not fought and died on the front lines of. There has been no job we haven't done, there's no tax they haven't levied against us, and we've paid all of them. But freedom is somehow always conditional here. You're free, they keep telling us. But she, she, she would have been alive if she hadn't acted so free. Now, freedom is always coming in the hereafter. But, you know what though, the hereafter is a hustle. We want it now. And let's get, let's get a couple things straight, just a little side note. The burden of the brutalized is not to comfort the bystander. That's not our job, all right, stop with all that. If you have a critique for the resistance, for our resistance, then you better have an established record of critique of our oppression. If you have no interest, If you have no interest in equal rights for black people, then do not make suggestions to those who do. Sit down. Sit down, be humble is the only part was it was missing right there. Right, right. So when you when you listen to your speech, obviously they're your words and you still mean them. You think about where we were then Mm -hmm. and where we are now. What would you say or how would you define freedom now? Would I define freedom differently or do I think that the world is different? Well, you can answer that, too. But I think um, what's interesting is we at least not uh, 
by an administration, mm-hmm. not experiencing, I think, the same levels of oppression, like, mm, okay. at that level. So, like, how do you think it's evolved now? Like, has the fight changed? Has our, has our enemy changed? Has our, um, do our tactics need to change? When you think about, like, freedom and yeah. the fact that we have fought on every, in every single war and yeah. at every turn for our I'd, freedom. I'd say yes to both of the last two. Uh, the, the, the enemy, the opposition has certainly changed um, and our tactics need to need to adjust but I but I would say it's just been on this gradual trajectory right mm-hmm. I think that we see um, oppression via anti-blackness as state policy um, through legislation through um, just public discourse through our through our willingness and, and essentially eagerness to stomach and tolerate um, violence against black people um, that it's just been on this steady incline under the guise of um, a white quest for freedom, this mm-hmm. kind of white-knuckled, red-faced fury and a panic. It's in a desperate mm-hmm. panic because they're worried they're getting outnumbered and they can no longer be bigots mm-hmm. in the same way. So I think the Republican Party, the far right, has uh, post, I think that I really draw a line post uh, Bush Jr., I think that's where a lot, a lot changed in the political um, dialogue, which is around, like, you're either with us or against us. The doublespeak, the Orwellian doublespeak, support our troops when I'm actually killing our troops. Healthy Clear Skies Act when I'm actually polluting the skies. Healthy forests when I'm, right? This this wordplay where we actually, we took the, we sucked the content out of the out of language. Where it doesn't matter what you say, it's as long as you say it with confidence. Um, so that cowboy, American cowboy mentality has, I think, constantly been on the increase. And right now, we're seeing that switch from just public discourse to political action. Um, and that's where it really, that's really the difference between racism and some other kind of generic prejudice. That's why there's no such thing as reverse racism, right? Because racism is power. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now we're seeing it actually um, um, in the levers of power impacting our ability to move, to breathe, to go to school, to buy homes, to um, walk the streets and have, you know, the people who we pay to protect us kill us. So I think it's just getting a little bit closer to home. I think that we have both, it's this odd thing, Angela. It's like we are both, uh, our most polarized and divided it feels that way. But we also are most unified in terms of the, the electricity in the air around the, the folks who want to stand up and do something. How can, I, how can I be down? How can I participate in some small but measurable way? So I think the, it has triggered, it, we continue to um, feel action. I think that you know, when a body goes through a detox, for example, it has to push out all the toxins. You got to see it. And it's going to be ugly for a little while. You're going to get pimples. You're going to be oily. You're going to be gross looking, but it's got to push those things out. Um, and uh, that's not pleasant, but it is part of a process. Mm. Um, it's not going, but it's, but it's just never going to happen on its own. I think we constantly kind of lean back on, I remember I was in an interview uh, years ago and uh, around Jordan Davis, I believe, and somebody kind of hit me with that bullshit. Uh, well, you know, doesn't the the uh, the arc? What is it? The arc of something always naturally bends towards justice, yeah. or arc of time? Arc of the universe uh, bends towards justice. Yeah, and I don't believe that. Like people do that. Like that's like that. I think that's like an armchair. He conflicted. Martin Luther King. He is on the mantle of black homes everywhere. But you like. because he was doing it. <laughs> yeah. But everybody leans on mm-hmm. the work of of Jesus. You know, the work of a, sure. a God among among people to be like, yeah, I can armchair quarterback this thing. It'll happen. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Which really is to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Um. That's how I take it. So, so just the other day, um, and there was a lot of kind of pushback against this, but it was Asada Shakur's birthday. Yeah. And yeah. Um, changed my life for a book. 
right? The story of her life changed my life. The, and the book that you're referencing is Autobiography Asada. Yeah. of Asada Shakur for those of uh, yeah. the listeners who aren't aware. Um, and to me, that's another fascinating touch point because she has this, um, this quote where she talks about, I know a lot more about what freedom is isn't than what freedom is. Mm, mm-hmm. And so that's the other thing that your that that excerpt from the speech reminds me of. Right. Like how do we define freedom when we've never fully experienced it? Yeah. And you talk about that a little bit there. Um, yeah, put it into context. We we use again language. We use terms, but we mean them differently. Mm-hmm. We talk about police but you, I, I remember in, in, under, in college, I learned about operationally defining terms before proceeding through a, a kind of sub- substantive discourse. Like, if we're both talking about police, but when you say police, you mean safety, protection, right. uh, uh, Americana. I can call them. They're there for a service. I mean terror, harassment, fear, law and order. But we're both talking about police, and you wonder why we don't agree. You said law and order, and law and order even Which means is a dog something whistle. different. Yeah, for some people, they think that sounds great. Of course yes. we want law and order. And for somebody That's else, what Donald means, Trump ran on. Yeah, exactly, which is a throwback, obviously. These yeah. throwback terms, which is just for white power. They're all just white power um, um, kind of tr- trigger words. But um, so, 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 yeah, I think that that's a, that's a really big deal, the way, we, the way we frame these things. And, yeah, freedom is measured. I mean, that's part of, I think, what the speech was. Like, when you talk about feminism... Right. When people go, do you mean women or do you mean white women? You're saying women. Yeah. You keep saying women all the time. You're talking about the women's wages, but you don't mean women. You think that feminism doesn't apply to. Oh, I don't mean broadly. Obviously, people are individuals and they have their beliefs. But I mean, generally, when we have these kind of sweeping, there's a there's a default like anything. It's going to default white. It's going to default cisgender. It's going to default hetero. Um. Uh, so, but, but yeah, you see that in, I just most recently in the conversation about uh, women's wages, I think, um, when it, it's, that's not the right stat that doesn't apply to black, brown, Latino, Asian women. That's um, very So good. we have to keep saying, well, but what about what it doesn't, what you said, what freedom mm-hmm. isn't. That's an easier way to measure it. I think an easier way for people to receive it. Yeah. Cause so much of it is about co- uh, frankly about, um, coddling whiteness. And telling it to the, I wish you would just say it in a way that was nicer, Angela. I, I hear you. Yeah, I don't want to, I, I hear you. I'm not a bad person. I just wish you would say it in a way that coddled my feelings better. So I think for some of us, whether we like it or not, we can, we don't owe people anything, but we can look for ways to be most effective and most efficient with our time and energy. When you um, think about just your overall life journey, was there a moment where you really leaned into activism? Was there uh, a tipping point to use a Malcolm Gladwell mm-hmm. um, kind of notion? Is there something that spurred you into activism or do you say, I have a hashtag on my Twitter profile where it says hashtag born woke? Yeah, straight um, up. Which I that's, feel like is not on me, it's on my parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's me, raised mm-hmm. woke. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I just was raised that way. My, my parents were um, political activists that, that grew up in, you know, various kind of leftist, communist, socialist, um, black power movements. And uh, that's who we were surrounded with. That's who their peers were. That's the meetings that were in our house growing up that I sat, you know, coming in and out of the kitchen as they tried to shush me to go upstairs, mm-hmm. like watching, watching movement work in Chicago. Um, watching poor, poverty-oriented work in Chicago. My parents were factory workers and labor organizers, and and so so that's the atmosphere I grew up in. But I think many of us do hit a kind of hinge point 
where you come into your own a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes that's over, you know, that it's college age, high school age, that adolescent kind of utopian. Why isn't the world better? I know how we could fix this. You know, I certainly, why aren't we all socialists? How come we don't all just do this? And you think you've got it figured out and you kind of grow into your own and you overstep and you make some mistakes and you kind of feel your space out. At least I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became um, moving to Philadelphia, becoming a member of the um, friends and family of Mumia. Uh, working around, I started the um, um, Kwame Ture work study group um, alongside his son Bokar, who was a who was a friend then and and uh, and is a friend now, uh, an incredible dude. And um, but moving around Philadelphia, HBCUs in that area, Maryland, Virginia, um, just doing Pan African movement work. Um, and uh, and Philadelphia is a great place for that. Obviously, a rich tradition right. of both disgusting fraternal order of police oppression and uh, and just great organization move and and those folks. So that was yeah, I think where I learned how to better articulate and was just reading like a mad person. You know, not only just political um, work, but I mean, I'm a history nut. You know, mm-hmm. so it's all about Sheikh Anta Diop and, and Theopilo Banga and the African origins of civilization, civilization or barbarism, just where this world, how this world began and, and, and our claim to it. Uh, that's awesome. And one of the things that you've done with your wokeness, mm-hmm. um, I'm almost tired of this term, but we have, yeah, I know it's, there's, it's I don't know what else things. to call it. Like, you know, this, this if, if we could preserve it, like any word, any black know, word, it's not preserved. if we could just keep it ourselves, it as soon as they start selling you products with it. Yeah, it's going to be like woke, curly yeah. hair cream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so one of the things that you've done, I think that <laughs> is true, though. Somebody's making that right Somebody's making that like, oh, that's good. That's good. Um, no, but one of the things that you've done that I think is really compelling now, as I've leaned more into the media space, is um, Ibroji. Okay. So you've Speaking used your, yes, you've used kind of the mentality that you grew up with, um, the mentality that you evolved into, and you said you want to ensure that there are images that we see that we can use. It's like highlighting all of the great black moments that people would, would ordinarily just take. Right. And you put it onto this platform. For folks who don't know about it, can you please yeah, talk gladly. about it? That's actually a really perfect segue. So a brogy. I try. Um, that was very good. You're <laughs> third episode and you're just uh, an expert. So so a brogy is right now lives as a really it, it is a, a network uh, centered uh, in and around um, black cultural expression. I consider it like a black cultural language extension tool. It is for everyone. It is centered around our experience, um, our joy, our, our forms of expression. So right now it lives as a GIF keyboard. G-I-F. I say GIF, not GIF. I say um, GIF. Uh, I won't say it in front of you. Thank you. It's a sensitive topic for me as the G stands for graphic. But um, so so I, we just realized as a team, it's a team effort. I didn't start this by myself. And um, but but Glenn and Aaron and I realized that that uh, on social media uh, in particular, black language is the centerpiece for what's trending. Literally, what how black tw- how Twitter works is black right. Twitter. Right. We decide what you talk about when you're on MSNBC or CNN. We decide the, the, the stories of the day, uh, what's relevant. We're able to articulate them with an incredible sense of balance of humor and pain. Um, uh, trends, how people dress, how they talk, how they dance, how they sing, with the phraseology they use, when it starts, when it ends, what's cool. And, and we, that is constantly kind of ghettoized and made less than to be ashamed of the way we talk. They mock us on television for the, the newest slang we use. 
Then six months later, roll it out. It's in Webster's Dictionary, and they're selling it back to us on SportsCenter and through Old Navy and other you know corporations <laughs> telling you your shit is... Good thing Old Navy doesn't advertise yeah. on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or anyway, I always... Actually, it's like a good example for me, but... but um, and it might not even be fair. No, but it's but, true. But any of these things filter back. Oh, now we can say... And they're using it wrong, and they're late, and corporations are always trying to chase cool. Mm-hmm. And why do we need to participate in that and wait for our own cultural language to be filtered back to us? We are cool. We, I had a CNN segment where someone was like, so-and-so had no chill. And I was like, okay, speaking of having no chill, because yeah. it was just used wrong and it was like, oh, it's cringeworthy. It's that? cringe-inducing. Yeah. Like, it's like, and everybody can relate to this, cultural aside, your parents trying to be cool. No, it's worse than that. Well, it's, it has a lot more like pervasive yeah. problems with it. Yeah. But that feeling, that cringe that you get, it's like, mom, stop. You're doing it wrong. My but, mom but it's used actually to be the running man better than me. So Definitely. she was kind of cool. Okay, well, you have exceptionally <laughs> cool parents. But, like, you know, that, that <clears throat> feeling of anything that's really, it's inauthentic. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's about inauthenticity. It's about trying too hard, uh, desperation, uh, and, and a, just a fakeness. And, yeah. and but in particular, when it's about transacting business, when you're trying to sell me products, uh, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. Yeah. Right? Like Coca-Cola trying to get in there and, you know, tell you that it's on fleek. It's like, just back, just get away. <laughs> but anyway, all we're, try- all we're doing with this is it's also a way for, uh, for, for me individually to participate in something that is fun but also politically subversive that is also centered around blackness and black expression and what we do is very simple is we aggregate and and it's crowdsourced we aggregate all the coolest you know the 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 what we realize about gifts is something that emojis don't do which is that there's nothing like the human face and human expression i send you a winking emoji or a crying emoji cool but you've seen it I, I, you're yeah. gonna you've already seen it uh, but but gifts we get real-time ones up every day when you go on a show, we have a new one of you, and I can. So, what that does to our user Thanks, base? What, what our user base does, though, is particularly Black folks um, and women. I would say an LGBTQ community um, members feel uh, included. Yeah, it is. It is us. I don't have to go and find and create my own personal stash because nobody makes anything for me. Um, it's actually. Oh, you were watching that show last night. I was. This brand is me. Yeah. We're watching what you're watching. We're making the content you're making. We're, and we're trying to flip it out and give you ways to be able to express, the, meet you, meet us where we are, which yeah. is the way we already talk. We don't have to just have LOL and cat videos as a way to express yourself through gifts. We say, come on, son. Yeah. We say shade. We say tea. I don't, you don't, I don't need you to, we don't need to create extra barriers. It's for us. It's by us. And guess what? Everybody else is going to use it anyway. They're going to copy the way you speak anyway. So why are we using their, um, you know, kind of more corporate pop mm-hmm. uh, uh, frameworks to be able to determine what's valid and what's not? Right. Um, so, so that's how we use this is just for texting, emails, social media, Twitter, WhatsApp, however you uh, communicate with folks. And no matter what, what's trendy, what the trendy apps are of the day, you're always going to text an email. You're always going to communicate with your people. You're always going to be in a group chat. So you can copy and paste or save and create your own favorites file, your own personal, Angela's own personal greatest hits of the gifts that she likes. They're real-time updated uh, every day. Um, and it's just it's just kind of swagged out black expression. Yeah. And, and one of the best things, I think, it's is addictive. it enhances the like the text experience. Like, there will be whole threads yeah. of text conversations with my friends where it's all... Gifts, right? Gifts. I know you want to say gifts. <laughs> but it's like... Yes. But, but what it is, it adds a tone and a texture to the, something that text yes. can't always do. Yes. We can do so much in an eye roll, in a head nod, 
that is just deep, it's layered, and it is, you know, I used to have this project, or we have this project called Question Bridge, where black men ask each other questions on camera. It's kind of a, a, one of the origin seeds for how we did the footnotes with Jay. Um, black people talking and showing that we are actually not a monolithic group. We're mm -hmm. incredibly diverse with Imagine that. And I know. But, but this idea, somebody asked, I think it was Malik Yoba on that. He said, like, what is this deal with, like, black men or black people giving the head nod when we walk by? Like, I think he was in Toronto. He's like, they don't do that up there. Like, why do we do that here? And um, my only point is that, like, that's just something that's specifically black, and it means it's just a gesture. Yeah. But it's, like, 300 years yeah. of communication. I see you. Yeah. That's all it I, is. Exactly. Like I didn't get, you feel that got you. Be, you know, be good, be wise, stay I safe, whatever. I think you whatever. ran into an off person in Toronto. I bet you there's brothers in I Toronto wonder. that do the I've never night. spent time up there. But, That's um, fair, neither have I. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> um, the, the, yeah, we want to, you know, just make use of, there are, there are many ways to measure language and expression, and we need to stop using um, uh, straight up, like, oppressive tools to think that we're going to, be able to, that's going to somehow be able to liberate us or allow us to be truly free in just the way we express ourselves. And you can do things, I, anything I'm in, I put in, involve myself in, whether it's comedic or, or a sports podcast or whatever, it can have subversive and, and, and political undertones. We can be responsible. We can be culturally responsible. And also, you know, I think people always ask me, like, what do, what do you think about other celebs? Do they need to be woke? Do they need to be active? And I have maybe somewhat complex feelings about that in terms of duty. Um, but, I, but I think that you can do both. You don't Wait. have to be, you don't have to like be banging the drum at all times to be responsible and not be a detriment. I, that's, I, wanna, I want you to lean into to the duty piece a little bit mm -hmm. um, because I do think that regardless of the size of the platform, once you have a platform, there is some obligation, there is some responsibility. There's a Winston Churchill quote that is my favorite, the price of greatness is responsibility. So mm -hmm. I'd argue that mm -hmm. a platform is some type of greatness. So you talked about duty. What does that look like? Well, I, I, I think it's, I, I look at it on two tiers. One is, I think we all, as, as black people in particular, um, people of color overarching, but, uh, but folks who are dealing with, kind of constantly wrestling with generations of depression, is that we have a duty to not make it worse, mm -hmm. not be a detriment, not sell each other out, not, um, you know how many times we've seen this kind of, tokenism, gesticulating, demonstrable blackness, people who are so uncomfortable in their skin that they clown us. I remember seeing some comedian, a black comedian who was doing all these jokes, essentially making fun of black people for an all-white audience. That kind of shit. What Just about like the Little Wayne moment where... The light skin, the red bones? Well, no, well, I don't even know. We can deal with color complex, complexity too in a minute, but Little Wayne talked about um, him This not is not a light skin only show, right? You have... Dark-skinned people on the show? No, I definitely am not going to have any dark-skinned okay, people on cool. the show, even though my first guest was Maxine Waters. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, but <laughs> we love all black people, all shades. But um, Lil Wayne said that he hadn't experienced racism because white people go to his shows. I don't know yeah, if you remember that I, moment. I, I think I do. But that's not, that's not real. Like, that, as uh, in, the, in the words of, is it Jeff Daniels' character in that movie Squid and the Whale, he's not, a, that's not a, he's not a serious person. That's not a serious statement. Like, what are you supposed to do with that? I don't he know. doesn't like. But you said don't cause harm. To me, that's yeah, like. Oh, the perfect oh that does cause. That's nonsense. Yes. It's ridiculous. It's destructive. You're in the way. Just don't participate if you don't want to participate. Yeah. Um, uh, that said, I don't think it. That resonates in the same way as you or I said something, right? Like, um, I don't know that people are looking to that know. to that vessel. 
um, to to uh, articulate the struggle in some way. Either way, it's not fucking okay. <laughs> I agree. Like, with that's that. not. I'm not just yeah. to be clear. That's that's a base. It's not okay. And that's what I mean about like, just don't. If you don't want to participate, if you want to go to look, I I believe that just because you're a great singer or you can dunk, it doesn't mean you have a different core duty than a plumber or a teacher or a mechanic. Right. Like black people are black people. Stay black. Do what you can to help or get the fuck out the way. Yeah. Don't be in the way. Don't actively Clarence Thomas this thing. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to do that. Just yeah. remember I was in a taxi cab and this Haitian driver, this, this guy cut us off and he was just, and he rolled down the window and was like, you don't have to drive. Just stay home. You don't have to drive. You don't want to. It was so simple. It was funny, but it stuck with me. Like in life, like y'all don't have to be in the way. Just go step aside. Yeah. So that that I think you have a, absolutely have a duty to do. I'm careful about pushing my worldview onto the rest of us. I have a responsibility, absolutely, to do the very best I can to move us forward and to get us towards and to essentially achieve liberation in, in all forms and fashions. That that is my duty. But I don't think it is fair for me to say. This dude just loves to play basketball. Okay, so uh, speaking of basketball, here's mm-hmm. another example. Charles Barkley. Charles Oh, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, and it's, you're talking about not getting in the way. Yeah. It's like you're going to create exactly. a show where you're talking about race and it's where completely you don't, destructive. You don't have the tools. Yeah. So you cannot fix the car. You don't have the tools. You don't have the equipment. So just, like, don't, just step aside. I mean, don't, you're not going to ask your mechanic to bake you a cake. Like maybe, it doesn't, maybe. unless they gave, they gave you, demonstrated to you in some way that they have a resume of excellent pastries. Like it, it doesn't, um, I think that's an odd uh, compulsion that people yeah. have. I think, but also in this, you know, again, we're in capitalism. People are looking for ways to be seen, stay seen, make money, stay relevant. They're not speaking at, at all, all just, just to truck. This is just people. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it, it uh, those kind of financial and publicity and fame, which are all intertwined in our, in our hopes and dreams, uh, which are toxic in this, in this context. Um, they're all just uh, uh, ways to kind of squeeze ourselves into shapes that we don't belong, that are not really authentic to us, to just hope to have longevity. And this is particularly um, relevant for folks who have far less, fewer avenues in life. And that's black folks and women, and et cetera. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, I think about this when I first came to LA from Brooklyn and, and started acting. And I started seeing, uh, I just noticed that like it's a town where the black people, particularly, I was noticing that black men, my peers within 20 years, and, and that were actors, I kept noticing, like, we just kind of walked by each other. Like, what up, what up? You good? You good? Ah, you good? Yeah, we should get together sometime. If that, if they even talk. Just kind of, wow. what up, what up, head nod and keep it moving. I just, I just, it doesn't make it true, but my impression as a newcomer was there was this competitive undertone, crab in a barrel, like, there's only going to be room for one of us, which is true to some, to some degree. We didn't make those rules. They're only going to write one, poorly write, underwrite one black character per movie that's demonstrably black, underwritten, has no actual backstory relationships agency. So it's not, it's not insane. We didn't make that up and we're not inventing a problem. We're reacting to a problem, which is like, yo, I got to eat. I got to eat. And if that means my first five jobs have to be robbing white people on law and order in a do-rag, I got to eat. Wow. I got, I'm an adult. I've got a kid. I've got to eat. And what, and what that does is that prevents me from then, what, like become playing a more sophisticated, I'm putting air quotes around that, uh, role in the future because you just saw, you just, you saw me doing all this uh, so-called gangster shit. Like, so we have to get in our own way in, with the impression of like progressing, but we're really not. Anyway, my point was when I first got here, I, I made a point to reach out and just when I see um, actors or people who I know and whose work I respect 
or even don't. I go up and just like break the ice. What up, man? Love your work. Good to know you. Do like you have just anybody to... that you've done that to that was it that was like cold like. <sighs> Probably. It's how I made a lot of my friends who are in the business. How I met. That's how I became close to Kugler and Michael B and Robbie and uh, Ely and like a bunch of people. Um, just do it. And, and, and I think that people need to see that done. I think we talk about moments like the speech or whatever the speech was to me when I was coming up. You know, people need to see the first and second person on the dance floor. So, Jesse, that was the that was the kind of the segue to this other question. And that was one. And it's really this is like a venting question for me, but okay. it's frustrating. Please, so, like please. I said about the the um, mixed piece, like I'm not mixed. And for people <laughs> to like, number one, say that, right. What are you? I got that yeah. a lot or get it a lot. Or like the like the white trolls on Instagram will be like, you're not even black, you know, and it's like, OK, yeah. girl, what are you talking about? That's uh, but what one of the things that frustrated me on the black side. Yes. We're having a light skin privilege conversation right now um, is, oh, you're just doing all that black stuff to prove you're black. Like growing up, that was said to me because that's the easy so road. Because that's the easy road. And I'm like, Doc, can you just like, well, we didn't have internet yet when mm -hmm. that was happening at first. <laughs> like, can you just read a book about my dad or read something? Yeah. Because I was raised, I'm not trying to prove anything. This is yeah. just who I am. Yeah. And so I wondered, like, the first thing that you brought up about being raised with two parents who were activists, mm -hmm. your white mom and your black dad, you know, doing that work, like you're naturally going to go into that space. So what do you say to young kids who are mm. combating some of that now, who care about moving our folks along and maybe like, you know. Combat, okay, okay, it's like the uh, light skin corner like, how section do you of the, of the show. Not, I mean, can we uh, just Fireside light skin, light skin chat. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, first that is, yeah, that that little Pandora's box is, is really interesting. There are really important parts of it to tangle with without having to like fight with the internet, which is just empty, emptiness. But uh, <laughs> that's the real, uh, also, the, real the thing place. is, and, and the, uh, the white troll comment you made, I want to also address because it's okay. really entertaining to me, this idea of, because uh, when I gave the speech, it was you're, but you're, you're not black enough to give the speech yes. from some people, yes. but also, but you're white, your mom's white. As if they expose that, Yes. You dumb motherfuckers. <laughs> I brought I brought my white mom. How did she get there? Right. I flew her out, put her in the front row and put the she camera on her. Camera, yeah. For context. Yes. This is me. I'm not anything that you don't I don't have to be what you think I am or what you want me to be. Right. I'm me. Right. And as much as I've heard about how hard it is to be kind of both and neither and to be light skinned and to be confused, yeah, it's confusing. Do your truth. There's, people can sniff out inauthenticity. They can sniff it out. And there's something particularly, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I have two brothers. I also have a, have a um, stepbrother and sister. I'm eight years older than my youngest brother. Our, our, our upbringing was very different. I grew up in the hood in Chicago until junior high school. We moved to the white suburb. He entirely grew up in the white suburbs. His community was different than yeah. mine. I was what that was on the west side of Chicago. He was something else. And entering, your point of entry into the black community, especially if you're raised somewhere else in the suburbs and you're gonna kind of try to get in later as you come into your own. We talked about that period of time and your teenager trying to figure out your identity and your hair and what you wanna do and who you are. That point of entry into that game of double dutch can be scary and intimidating. And, but I, what, I, what I would say to those folks who are kind of struggling with being welcomed is um, don't speak unless you know what you're talking about listen, 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 but also 
Be yourself and stand by it. Yeah. Don't apologize for it. That if you are who you are, and and you have to like people sniff out weakness, yeah. especially the most bruised among us. We can't afford it. We can't afford fucking spies and moles and people who are just borrowing us and putting us on and taking us off and wanting to just get their hair braided because they went to an island. Like we, we don't have time for you. <laughs> we have work to do. Yeah. So so. You have to decide if you're real. I can't, it's the same in relationships. Like, you can't expect a partner to know what you want if you don't know what you want. Right. And so, much, so many of us kind of walk around like dabbling and figuring it out. And you don't have to be a master of nothing at 13. We're all completely ignorant to 95% of the topics in the world. We choose what we, what we want to be. And I think you got to be patient with yourself and patient with other, with other people. Um, because if... Uh, the, any of these trolls and people coming at us, look, I got handwritten death threats and it was a big deal after I had a, I had a yeah. real problem. I got little kids and, yeah. and people were coming for me, at least pretending to, in, in a way that in now this day and age you do have to take somewhat seriously. Um, but, the, but the arguments are always so feeble. It's not a, all, the bottom line is, particularly from the, hardcore, the far right white side, is really just shut the fuck up, nigga. That's really what they're saying. And this argument from that side, which is like, well, yeah, but you're white, but you're half white, you can't speak on it, is my favorite because it disqualifies them. Mm -hmm. If my portion of whiteness disqualifies me from this conversation, you are wholly disqualified from yeah. this conversation. Yeah, they didn't Period. mean that part. They, was, they were trying to undermine your whiteness, not theirs. But yeah, I hear you. Well, no, they're trying to say you can't speak on it because you're white. Right. Then right. you shouldn't be speaking at all, which is really not what you want. And, and uh, we also like, well, you know, I, I think that the, the one drop rule is, is flawed and toxic and treats blackness like a poison, but it, in, its, in the spirit of it, how it was created um, to separate us and keep us from participating in full citizenship. But it's real, it's us. Yeah. And guess what? Like you had a problem with Bob Marley or Malcolm X or Frederick Douglass or Clayton Powell, or Adam Clayton Powell, or anybody else that's our color. Because mm -hmm. it, on, like, straight up, there's not much difference, in my view, between whether whiteness, in, it's gonna say infected, uh, came into my, my bloodstream yesterday or 50 years ago. That's right. It's still there. How do you think we got the, uh, colored this way? With, yeah. with few exceptions. Obviously, there are gradations of color in Africa. But, yeah. um, but it just not letting, they don't set our terms. Like yeah. we have work to do. Like I just want how our would folks they ever to stop too, though? Because that's it's just not it's helpful. toxic. We are absolutely um, we're taking on the oppressors' like mentality. language and mentality absolutely. to talk about our movement, and, I, and that's about being wounded. Yeah, that's about being. I'm so hurt. I'm yeah. so hurt that like I'm gonna hurt you before you can hurt me. Yeah, and uh, and I think that people uh, uh, you know often talk about it's very reflective. Be like we act like crabs in a barrel. You might know, be yanking each other down, but you know what? Like the barrel is not the crab's natural habitat. Yeah. That's not where we're from. We're in the, we didn't put ourselves in that barrel. Mm -hmm. And we got to figure out how to get out and how to build on each other's backs instead of ripping each other down. Okay, speaking of how to get out, this is the last question because we were way over time. Um, so much of what we're doing right now is focused on resistance efforts so we can survive, so we can really find and understand true freedom. What do you tell folks about what's next for their resistance? What should folks be doing? Um... I think that it does us no good to spread ourselves too thin and try to take on too much. Um, you know, it's a big menu. 
of topics. Yeah. Uh, I think that a, a willingness to educate ourselves and we have never had more access to more information. And whatever moves you, whether it's health, the healthcare debate right now, whether it's police in schools and, you know, um, um, carrying out enforcing a criminal code to our children right. and macing five-year-olds and handcuffing eight-year-olds um, or whatever the, that issue is, um, get your weight up, learn about it and be willing to put your foot in the water in terms of having localized conversations about it. But I'm not a big one on like discussions and can we have a conversation? Obviously, massage is one part of what we need, but we need action and we need to put pressure on policymakers and things that actually impact us um, on a larger scale. So that is getting active in your local community. There is a local uh, BLM. There is a local yeah. something chapter of somebody, labor organizers in your community. Swing by a meeting. It's free. Get to know people, spend time developing relationships and learning and sharpening your tools. Like it's just about, we all have a toolbox, you might have two or 200 tools in there. We need more um, so, so that you can actually do battle. Like, this is battle, yo. Like we have to be able to in be, in, be, in, be armed in conversation and not constantly um, be caught off guard and have, have the dope part of our conversation in the car ride on the way home to yourself because you missed an opportunity to really engage and push and offer people a differing perspective. Um, so yeah, it depends on what you really want to do and how much of your time you want to dedicate to it. That the, and one of the tough parts of being black is we have to still do all the things that everybody else has to do, maintain a job, pay your mortgage, pay your rent, raise your kids, get daycare, um, do all those things, but then also be black and then also try to, what we have to do is we have to identify the oppression Decide how to wrestle with it personally, whether to talk about it socially, inform ourselves on it, do that homework. Then I then say it out loud, then deal with the whiplash from that, then come up with the solution. Because it's always, people always ask you for the solution. How are we going to solve it? I didn't make it. <laughs> Why don't you ask yourself that? Yeah. You know, there is, damn it, there was a really good quote I heard to that point recently that I'm, that I'm forgetting now. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't, it's not, a, it's not our fault but it is our response, but part of it is our responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Jesse. I really yeah. appreciate the time. So we've talked about everything from light skin privileged. <laughs> yeah. And um, he's going to keep fighting the good fight. And um, I'm so grateful to have had this time with you. My brother in the movement, y'all. Thanks appreciate so much. Appreciate it. Okay. Peace. <laughs>